what that treatment did to me through the six months that I was on was chemically induced menopause. Welcome to the Aspire to Inspire podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Griffin. I'm a personal trainer and mindset coach on the Gold Coast. In this podcast, we dive deep into discovering your purpose, accepting your limiting beliefs, and stepping into the power of your most confident, authentic self. Are you ready to become the girl you've always dreamed of? All right, well, let's get into the podcast. Alrighty. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Welcome to the Aspire to Inspire podcast. Natalie Brown, how are you today? I'm fabulous. How are you? Oh, I am so good. Man, I am so bloody excited for this podcast. It's been a long time coming. Agreed. I couldn't agree more. Let's look a little bit of backstory about how we kind of met because that's a fucking story and a half, isn't it? I think it's like a decade ago it was it definitely was 2019 was mm-hmm. it yeah so I was just I think was I a coach at that point I can't remember what I was doing at that that time but oh, I was I was working out in PLC Northgate and mm-hmm. you were working at North Lakes I actually think this was prior to me working at North Lakes I think I was still training at Northgate right yeah okay well, there you go. Well, same same year. So we we met at PLC Northgate and we'll train together. And then one day, I think we were just like bored and wanted to go do a workout. So we got the keys to the gym at like a Sunday afternoon and we were doing a leg workout that I honestly, it makes me cringe just the thought of like <laughs> what we were doing back then, like the workout, like the exercises, what were we thinking? <laughs> and I remember injuring my back that day and being like, incapable of walking. <laughs> It was so funny because I think we were like trying to hit like PBs on a deadlift and stuff like that. And I looked back at the form and I was like, oh, sis, what were you doing? What were you doing? <laughs> oh, we live and we learn. I know. And then I think it's around the same time that I moved back to the Gold Coast. We kind of like lost connection there. Yeah. Yeah. It would have been a lot happened in 2019. 2019 was like a, a full year. A very big year. Yeah, a full year. Let's just get straight into the podcast. So basically, the first thing that we always do, this is the Aspire to Inspire podcast. So I want to ask a bit of a question for you. So I hope you're ready. What is something you aspire to have, be or create in your life? And are you living in this desire? I would say that I'm close to living to this. Like I Mm. feel like it's coming, we're manifesting it, but I feel like something that I aspire to have in my life is being truly happy with who I am as a whole. 100% happy in who I am as a person and everything around that. Oh, awesome. No, I love that. I mean, I think that's really beautiful. It's a very important thing. And I think people overlook it a bit too much how important happiness is. I love that. So let's ask this second question. So about Mm -hmm. inspiration here, okay? Yeah. What or who inspires you every day to live your dream life? I'm mad at myself that I'm wearing a long sleeve right now because I actually have her name tattooed on my arm. Otherwise, (laughs) I will show you. (laughs) It's my grandmother. Cute. She is, for those who know me, she is my best friend. Like we are, I guess you could say almost like sisters, but 50 years apart. (laughs) She is, she's incredible. I call her Ninny. I just didn't know how to say nanny as a child and Ninny just came. So I have the word Ninny tattooed across my like bicep. Hearing her growing up, like her life story and how she lived her life 
is honestly so inspiring and like what she did she just did everything like outside of her comfort zone mm-hmm. and that inspires me so much because I'm a little bit of a hermit in a way that I don't like to step outside the box but yeah she's someone that did so like I find that extremely inspiring and I really hope one day I can you know grow up living a life like she did because she did some incredible things in her 77 years of living that she's still doing now honestly she's the most inspiring woman I've ever met oh that is so beautiful oh my (laughs) god I could not stop laughing that entire not laughing smiling that entire time (laughs) I don't have a relationship with my like grandparents so I've never been able to experience that bond and that's just so beautiful that you looked up to someone that's yeah like it's such a big age gap but I guess Mm -hmm. you know that's kind of the the reason right you want to be able to look look up to someone that you inspire to be so that's fucking amazing I love that well thank you I love hearing all these things about what people are inspired inspired by because that's what's really important for me in this podcast is to kind of you know ask those types of questions and see how that resonates with people and they were just really beautiful answers so thank you for that Uh, so let's go into a little bit of a personal route now I want to ask a bit more about you I think I want the audience to learn a bit more about Natalie Brown so let's just go straight (laughs) fucking into it all right so who are you where do you live etc tell me all the details my name is Natalie obviously I am living in Brisbane currently but I'm actually from a little small beach town south of Sydney called Wollongong like that's where I was born and raised. I moved up to Brizzy four years ago almost five years ago wow just for a change I honestly there is zero reason why I moved it was just the opportunity arose and I jumped at it 27 years old. And where are you working at the moment? I'm working in a Nike store. Oh cool love it. Let's go into a little bit of a bit of a self recognition question Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. if you could go back and give your 18 year old self one piece of advice what would it be ignore what others think about you Mm. period yeah like it does not matter what they think or anyone else's opinion of you does not matter Mm -hmm. in the slightest only your opinion of yourself matters and I wish I knew that back then yeah no for sure and I love that I think that's so wholesome we definitely get so like cooped up in the life of trying to be someone that we're not yeah but I think that's amazing you know just being being authentic being yourself and just not caring about what the world is kind of telling you on the outside all right so now we know a little bit about you let's go deep into what this podcast is talking about the truth behind living with endometriosis Okay. For people that don't know, I want you to explain endo. Um, I want you to know, I want you to kind of go into depth about what that is and what the struggles that you deal with on a daily with endometriosis. And then we're going to go further into more of the myths behind it as well. Buckle up. All right, here we go. So endometriosis is a incurable condition. I thought I would start off with that, but it's where the lining similar to what lines the uterus grows on the outside and it can grow pretty much anywhere in a human body typically in the abdomens like a the abdomen area so anywhere from the bottom of your pelvis all the way up to your ribcage is where it can grow and that cause the amount of pain that words cannot describe you know for any listeners out there that have endometriosis would know what I mean but essentially I was diagnosed with stage four endometriosis in 2019 Um, the 24th of February to be exact. There's four stages, there's stage one, two, three, and four, four being the most severe. However, we'll dive into this a bit later, the stage of your endometriosis does not equivalent to the amount of pain that you're in. So you could have stage one and be in the same amount of pain as someone with stage four. But essentially stage four is 
the most severe and pretty much when I went in for my first diagnostic surgery, it was endometriosis was like covering my entire abdomen, including adhesions, which means like an adhesion is where two organs or like an organ may be stuck to the lining of your stomach or um, in my case, it was my ovary was adhered to my bowel. So in other words, way back when I started first having symptoms of endometriosis was really bad bowel issues, which actually led doctors to think I had an inflammatory bowel disease like Crohn's disease oh, wow. because it was affecting my bowel so much. And then fast forward to 2019, learning that your bowels are so sensitive to endometriosis that it will throw your bowel movements off. That's a, yeah, pretty much a brief snapshot of what endo is. And yeah, I was diagnosed three years ago. Yeah, crazy. And like, what are the struggles that you deal with on a daily with that? Because obviously it's not something just goes away and comes back. Like obviously there's something that goes on every day. Like what would those be to you? Yeah, funnily enough, I am currently in the middle of an endometriosis flare-up. Oh, perfect timing. But essentially, daily struggles are constant period pains. And when I say constant, I mean every day. Mm. Every single day, we have what's called like period pain-like pain in our lower abdomen. And funnily enough, I actually don't have my period and I don't get my period at all and haven't for the last three years, but I get every single symptom of a period minus the bleeding. Yeah. It's different for everyone though, hey? It is. It is absolutely like not, it's not a one size fits all kind of thing and everyone experiences different pain. Some people, you know, can be much worse off than I am. And then some people are the polar opposite and deal with it quite good, which is amazing. Those women, it's it's insane. The, the difference that some people, women just deal with it. I guess like other things that we deal with, well, I personally deal with quite often is really bad pains in my legs, which is so hard to explain because it's not a muscular pain. It almost feels like, I don't know how to explain it. It almost feels like joint pain, but like not in my joints. It's like mainly sitting in like my thighs. And sometimes it gets to the point where you can't stand up because the pain in your legs is so bad that you just have to sit down. Interesting. Yeah. It's so weird, but you just got to deal with it. <laughs> yeah, no, that's really interesting. It kind of sounds like you're getting like a body aches. You know, when you get like a cold and you yeah. start to feel like your body just starts to ache everywhere, but you can't really pinpoint where it's coming from. Yeah. That kind of sounds like similar to that, which I've yeah. I've experienced myself with PCOS as well, but I find that in my, like my lower back area, kind of where my tailbone is, I feel that yeah. pain. Yeah. Um, interesting that you said about the whole, like not getting your period for three years, because one of my clients, have, she struggles with endometriosis and she's on the total opposite. She gets the worst periods known to men. I think she said one day that she had a PT session with me that she, before it was even 7am, she's gone through three super tampons and a maternity pad by 7am. And I was like, and that's just one day worth of endometriosis flare up. And she goes, that gets that bad that she can't really go to work because she has to change her tampon every like 10, 15 minutes, which I think yeah. is just ridiculous. And obviously it takes a massive toll on her because she has no energy because she's lost so much blood. But people yeah. don't really understand, like unless you've experienced endo, PCOS, any type of hormonal imbalance that affects your ovaries, you can't understand what kind of feeling that you go through. You feel like you just can't do anything because your body's just losing so much energy so much blood yeah. so much you know hormones and everything like that so it's really crazy that it's different for everybody how do you find yourself with being able to still work and go to the gym when you have these flare-ups again brutally honest here I haven't been in a solid gym routine since my last surgery which was at the end of June 
So what's that? July, August, September, three months. It's been since I've been able to get back into the swing of things with training. And you would know from knowing me for so long that training was like my life. It was Mm -hmm. my source of release. I just haven't been able to. I just can't. I One, don't have the energy. Two, it took a long time for my last surgery to recover. I guess like I've really started learning to listen to my body. And if my body's telling me that I can't train or I don't have the energy to train, I won't. Yeah. It's just, it's not going to be a thing. And in terms of work, I'm extremely grateful to have been able to surround myself with workplaces that really understand this condition. And they are so supportive in the way that if I need to go home because I'm unable to stand up, which actually happened to me on Friday, just gone, I'm able to go home. So I think very, very blessed to be able to work in workspaces where they are so understanding and so supportive and caring in that way that they will look after me in any way they can. Oh, that's so awesome because I definitely think that that's not common enough in workplaces because when I had PCOS and it was really bad at the start, I was working in a cafe and I had like really bad cramps and stuff like that and wasn't getting my period, but but I felt like, yeah, I literally couldn't walk. Like, it can't even describe the type of feeling it is. It's yeah. like you, you fall to the ground quite literally and you can't get up because you're holding your stomach so tight yeah. that it's like, it's like you're having a contraction. If I could just put any word into it, I haven't been pregnant, so I don't... <laughs> my words but if I could imagine what a contraction feels like that's what it felt like when yeah. you're just getting that shooting pain through your stomach like someone's quite literally stabbing you yeah and I'm sure you probably understand the same it's just very like you go into a ball where you can't move and I wasn't really like comfortable enough to be able to tell my boss without her thinking that I'm just having a period cramp and that I'm yeah. just being a little bitch but it's nice to you in a workplace that really support that and you don't have to feel like guilty or anything like that if you're having a flare-up and stuff like that because obviously that would just cause more stress on yourself, worried about your, what you're working going to think. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I guess it's one of those things where if I could give any advice to any girls out there that are dealing with PCOS or endometriosis and you don't have a supportive workplace, get out. <laughs> you can't You can't live like that. This is your body. This is, this is your life and your sanity if you can't feel comfortable talking to your boss or your employer about your health or you're worried that they're not going to understand then find somewhere that will because there are workplaces out there yeah absolutely that's actually really good that you brought that up because I was going to ask you about I guess some advice you'd give to other people that are dealing with it so let's go into a little bit about that because I think there's obviously a lot of listeners here that would be struggling with something like this and want to spread awareness to it as well to make them feel like they're not alone and that we're all here together and all the good and the bad about I guess dealing with a hormonal imbalance so let's go a little bit deeper into the endometriosis myths now the reason I call it a myth is because okay don't come for me here but doctors know no jack shit like They don't know anything. If anyone's dealing with any endo or PCOS, do not go to a doctor or GP. They're not trained in that area. Go to a gynecologist, go to a female-specific doctor because they're actually trained in that area. Most of the time, GPs will just refer you on, don't talk to you, and then you have to do the work. So if you're getting through any feelings of this, I would just go directly to a gyno, in my personal opinion. Yeah, I'm sure you probably agree, yeah. In your experience over the last three years, what mm-hmm. are some myths that you've been told from doctors that they said that this was going to happen, this is how it's going to be, this is X, Y, and Z, this is how you're going to feel, that have been the complete wrong answer? Like that was just not the false experience that you have. 
again, it's so, it's so personalized and Mm. I guess I'll speak on my experience. I can't speak on anyone else's experience with this. One of the first things that I will say is do your research on any medications or any treatments that your gynecologist or your specialist is wanting to put you on. I, my very first treatment that I was put on instantly after being diagnosed was a treatment called Zolodec. This treatment, from what I learned, I think it was about a year ago, I was only on it for six months. Your body can only tolerate it for between nine and 12 months before it'll do serious damage to your body. And I wish I knew that before I agreed to going on it, but Mm -hmm. there was actually a class action lawsuit on this exact treatment over in the US. Oh, wow. Because of the permanent damages it was doing to women's bodies. But essentially what it is, it's an injection that you get directly into your pelvis once every four weeks, stops your body from producing estrogen. So completely stops the production of estrogen. And I guess the reason why I was put on that treatment is endometriosis feeds off estrogen. So my specialist thought, oh, we'll put you on this treatment to stop your body from producing estrogen, which will help hopefully slow down your regrowth of endo. But what that treatment did to me through the six months that I was on was chemically induced menopause onto a 24-year-old's body. So I pretty much went through every single symptom that like a 50 to 60 year old woman goes through menopause without actually going through menopause. So like the hot sweats, the like internal, like body heat, the erratic moods, like everything that, you know, a 50 year old will go through. I was going through at 24 years old. It was horrible. Like, oh my God, I was a different person, but I wish I did my research on that because I probably would have said no like I'm yeah for sure putting my body through that but again like I was so new to the whole illness at the time that I just ignored it and I accepted it but um, yeah so I've also been on numerous other treatments and medications which again I wish I looked into um, because at the moment I'm not on any medication other than the marina which is why I don't get my period do your research and get other opinions is another big piece of advice I wish. Well, I kind of went through forcibly about eight or so years ago when I started my journey, I guess, with trying to look into why I'm in so much pain all the time. But if you're not happy with one gyno or one specialist opinion, go seek another. Don't just listen to the one gynecologist that you see because there are so many gynecologists out there. And trust me when I say there are some amazing gynecologists, but there are some really really, really bad gynecologist on the other hand as well. The worst experience I had with a gyno was when I was about 19, 17 to 19. My periods were so bad that I didn't know what was wrong with me. And I pretty much went to a gynecologist back at home in Wollongong. And she straight up told me that this is all psychological and I need to go seek help. She sent me away to go see a psychologist that I was in so much pain that she said it was all in my head. Oh my God. What the heck? That was probably the point where I gave up. I was like, all right, this is just something I have to deal with. That's actually crazy, dude. Yeah. yeah. I had a similar experience when I first got diagnosed with PCOS. It was very, very bizarre because it's the silks kind of haunts me to this day, to be honest. But when I first kind of, because I always thought that there was something wrong with my periods because when I, I 
got my period, I think I was 15, but it was never a monthly occurrence, like ever since I was 15, but I just never really thought about it. And then I got into contraception, which we will go into a little bit deeper on as well. So I want to get your thoughts on that. But so that kind of regulated my period. So by the time I was 19, when I got the diagnosis, so I think I was 20, I was like kind of over not knowing what was going on with my body. So that's when I went to go see a doctor. And then they just went, were like, hey, just like try a different contraceptive pill. This will fix it. And I was like, okay, sure. No worries. I went to a actual it wasn't a gyno, actually. It was a referral to a synopopist. I think that's what they call it, where they're the people that kind of put the probes, probes in you and do like the inner x-ray type of situation because PCOS is a bit different and it can actually be visibly seen on the outside of the ovary. So it's not a cell. It's actually on the outside <laughs> of the eggs and of the ovaries and stuff like that. So could see it, but it was really weird. When I was getting this whole situation done it was very uncomfortable like it was like it honestly I can't even express to you how uncomfortable this made me because they had to put like this probe up me they had to put a condo on it they had to lubricate it they were just like this is gonna feel really weird and it was honestly I can't even go back to that moment because it's the most uncomfortable thing I've ever been through and no one told me anything till this day I have not heard a single thing from that appointment And she told me, she was like, oh, I can't discuss these symptoms with you. Even though when I saw her face, I could tell that she was like, oh my God, that, you know, there's a lot of PCOS here. And I know there is, I'm not an idiot, but she was just like, oh, I will refer you back to your doctor. And then I went back to my doctor and then she was like, there's nothing we can do. Just going to have to live with it. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Until this day, I still haven't figured out what's going on. I am going to go down the fertility rate just to kind of go see what could be you know a problem in the future because what obviously I got told I'm sure you probably have been told as well you're not going to be able to conceive children you're not going to be able to have kids because yada 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 you don't produce estrogen you don't produce eggs yada 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 that is the biggest load of cock shit anyone could ever say yeah anyone could ever say my sister both of my sisters actually my sister one of them had endo she's had two beautiful children my sister had PCOS She's had two beautiful children and they both got told the same thing. And it's like, you, no one really knows how your body is going to operate in that particular moment because the body is literally the most beautiful, amazing thing ever, especially a woman's body. Right. So when doctors say you're probably not going to be able to conceive children, like they're just trying to scare you. Yeah. It's a scare tactic. And I guess I was told, thankfully the, like my gynecologist said to me just because of her findings in my my first surgery was my fallopian tube was adhered to my ovaries well my ovary my right ovary should I say which meant when she went in and removed the adhesions there was significant damage done to my fallopian tube so she just said I don't have I don't think you'll have an issue conceiving naturally but you are at a high risk of an ectopic pregnancy which can obviously be life-threatening to obviously the baby and yourself. So I guess like I was very appreciative that she didn't flat out say that I won't be able to have kids and I won't be able to fall pregnant or anything. She just advised the risks that I may face having damaged fallopian tubes, which I appreciated. So Mm, absolutely. That's really good as well that she said that. I definitely think that doctors, they really, they really don't know the truth about your body until you kind of know what's going on because no one can really understand what you're going through except for yourself. They can look at it on a fucking picture and they can be like, this is what I can see and this is what I think. But at the end of the day, like they are never going to fully know what's going to be able to happen with your body because you are 
your body. You, yeah. you are like basically, like I keep saying the author and creator of your story. It's the same thing with your body. You yeah. control it as well. So it's really nice to be able to get that type of advice, knowing that you do have an option that you could have kids. Yes, there might be a risk there, but there's a risk with everything. I guess at yeah. the end of the day, there's a risk with being pregnant. There's always going to be, you know, the good and the bad. Yeah. So let's go and talk a little bit about more myths in the endo world. I want to talk about contraception because yeah. this is very, very personal to me. And I'm going to go into it as well. But I want you to go through it because I know that you've got a lot to say about it. So give you the fucking mic here. So go for gold. Um, I guess like there's obviously more than one form of contraception. The pill not being the only one. So like I have very strong opinions on the pill itself. I was, when you said you got your period at 15, I was like, wow, I was 10 when I got my period. 10 years old. (laughs) I was was a baby. But apparently from what I've learned, getting your period really young is actually quite a common symptom of someone who will develop endometriosis as they're getting older. So yeah, I was 10 years old, not even in high school yet when I got my period, which I was absolutely petrified. I had no idea what was going on with my body because no one taught me about periods at that point. My mom was 16 when she got her period. She's not going to think, oh, my daughter's 10. I'm going to start teaching her about periods. So yeah, I had no idea. I thought I was dying. I was <laughs> 10 years old, bleeding, and I was like, what is going on? Anyway, that brings me to when I was a bit older, when my period started getting regular, I think I was about 15. Also had really bad hormonal acne when I was a teenager. Like it was so bad. Like it was... There is definitely people worse off here. Don't don't come at me. But (laughs) it was really really bad for me. Really ruined my self confidence. You know, being a pimply freak back then. So I was actually referred to go on the pill at fifteen to help me kind of like one regulate my period. My period pain was also out of this world. But I back then that was twelve years ago, almost thirteen years ago. That was considered normal. Like it's period pain, you get it. Like it's it's a normal thing. But also to help cure my skin. Now I again didn't know the risks of going on the pill. I didn't really do any research because I feel like back then it wasn't such a taboo topic like it is now. It wasn't talked about as much as it is now. Um, and I guess I was on the pill all the way until I was twenty six, which was you know, almost a year ago. My experience with the pill, I've been on multiple different pills. Not great, let's just say. It's artificial hormones in your body. Like, I guess that speaks for itself, you know, putting, feeding your body with artificial hormones. But I guess fast forward to now, yeah, I stopped taking the pill at the end of last year. But like I mentioned very briefly earlier, I actually have the Marina, which was originally inserted back in 2019 when I was first diagnosed with endo to stop my period because my periods were absolutely horrific. The pain was like, I honestly can't even describe the pain I was having every single month throughout the entirety of the month. It wasn't just through the bleeding phase of my period or the two weeks prior. It was constant to the point where I was vomiting from my period pain. So we decided to try the Marina. And again, my gyno was extremely open to the idea of if it doesn't work, we will take it. But fast forward three years, three and a half years, I got my Marina changed in my last surgery three months ago. And I have had so much success with the Marina. Again, Some people hate it. Some people refuse to be on contraception at all. But the Marina is something that I guess has been truly life-changing for me and stopping my period because I can actually live a life. Yeah, absolutely. I find that really interesting. So 
with with that being said like you said, every contraception has its good, has its bad, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we get drilled on too too young to be on contraception just for avoiding getting pregnant. Yeah. But at the end of the day, that's not the real reason that we should be considering taking contraception because yeah. when you think about it, if you're so scared about getting pregnant, fucking wrap it up, babe. That, yeah. like, that's all I say about that you yeah. know if you're too scared about being pregnant don't rely on contraception because that's not what they're designed for it's yeah. not designed for you to just stop yourself from getting pregnant they they are quite literally designed to help regulate your periods and help regulate your hormones yes they do work in some ways and yes they don't I had the I started off with the pill I was just so bad at taking it like I literally yeah. was just so bad and I was just like, oh, I'm not going to use it. I could take it on the right times and whatever. I just didn't take it seriously. So I got the bar when I was 16. I yeah. seriously had the worst experience with the bar. So I have it, like put it in my arm, on my left arm and I still have the seriously bad scar because when they tried yeah. to take it out, they literally could not find it. And it was the most painful experience I'd ever gone through at the age of 17. But I gained about 15 kilos of weight on the bar. I didn't have a period. My skin was so bad. I had literally the worst reaction. And when I wanted to come off it at this time, I was in a relationship. So my parents were just like, well, you have to get on something else that's going to stop you from getting pregnant because that's what they cared about. And I was like, guys, this is like seriously fucking up with my body. So I stopped I got to take it out and they put me on the pill like straight away because I was just like, you need to get back on something. And by the way, if you're going from something that's so big and like thrashed with hormones to a contraceptive pill that's got a whole bunch of different hormones back to back after each other, that is just not a good idea because the hormones in the bar will still be running through my body for like a good week or two before it comes out of my body, right? So I went straight onto the pill the day after I got the bar taken out. Brenda? I think it was called and that was like just the most like the the cheapest kind of one but also it was one designed to help clear acne and it did that and it helped clear acne but then I was still gaining weight and I was eating clean and I was working out and I was like what's going on so I was like I can't keep going on these contraceptive pills right these are just like screwing with my body and I always got referred to doing the marina which I definitely think that's a path that I'm going to take now that you've told me that it's worked well for you I kind of want to get involved with it because right now I'm not on anything marina thing I think that's really interesting do you have the one that's got the actual hormones in it or do you have the copper one yeah no so I do have the actual like marina because usually Mm -hmm. they call the copper like insertion device an IUD yeah. Um, so yeah, I have the marina, which is the one that produces hormones, and that's why my period has stopped. Mm. But I've heard some horror stories. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, I've heard some people that the marina, their body will just reject it, or it'll get lodged in your uterus because pretty much where it sits is right at like the cuff of your uterus. So like, it sits like right here. Yeah. Um, so there are some risks of having the marina. Like, it can get lodged. It can your body can push it out, which, oh my God, I couldn't even imagine the pain that you would feel if your body somehow rejected it or tried to push it out or it got lodged into the side of your uterus wall. Like, nah, fuck that, man. Whereas like, I've been extremely lucky where it has always sat exactly where it's supposed to be. It hasn't moved. It hasn't tried to lodge itself anywhere. The marina is something that I would definitely only go down the road if you are advised to. Um, yeah, okay. It's actually not something that doctors will put in you willy-nilly. Like it's yeah. not a form of contraceptive they will offer to anyone and everyone because there are, like I said, some extremely high risks of having a foreign device sitting in your body. 
Of course, there's there's risks of, of everything though at the end yeah. of the day. Yeah. So I think it's just important to do, do your research, try things out. I don't think just not doing any contraception is the, like the right thing to do. I think you always should at least try something that's going to help prevent you a getting pregnant and also try to help regulate your periods if you are experiencing some issues in that regard. But just finding what works for you. Yeah, it's trial and error. And like, like I said, I think I've been on a total of five different contraceptive pills throughout my pill journey. So over the course of the last 13 years, some of them were absolutely horrendous. Like I even could see myself changing into a different person. I think that pill was called Zoli from memory, an extremely expensive contraceptive pill, which I thought. Mm, I had one of those too. Like you know, it's expensive, it must be good. And I think I, my doctor said, give it three months because that's a solid amount of time for your body to, I guess, get used to this new routine. And I hated it. Like I even knew myself, I was snapping. I was getting really angry. I was getting really irritable. And I was like, get me off this pill now. Like, mm -mm, I'm done. So let's talk about some surgeries and the experiences of that so before we kind of go through the surgery section obviously there's a lot of things that lead up before you actually end up having the surgery because yeah like you said at the start it's not something that can be cured but it's something can be maintained over time what are the symptoms that you normally experience right before you either have a flare-up something is going to end you up in hospital or where you're like I'm probably going to have to have surgery is there certain symptoms that you feel within your body that kind of triggers those things Yeah. So I guess laparoscopic surgeries, firstly, I guess, jumping back into another myth, a laparoscopic surgery is the only way you can diagnose endometriosis. Okay. The only way, because as you even mentioned earlier, you can't see endometriosis via an ultrasound. Mm -hmm. It's physically impossible because it's just not something that will show up in an imaging process. So I guess going from like the point where my gyno first suggested I needed surgery because again, she didn't know I had endo. It was more, I am 99.99% certain you have endometriosis, but I won't know until I'm inside your body and can physically see it. So I guess periods, like I said earlier, like my periods being extremely heavy and lasting for about seven to 10 days at the same heaviness. They never got lighter. They didn't start off light. They were like full ball waterfalls from the get go. Like and extreme pain and like I mentioned earlier was my bowel movements were extremely I'm gonna say overactive you (laughs) you you do whatever you want to do with that piece of information but I thought that was normal and then when I spoke to my gyno this is up in Queensland by the way I gave up with my endo research back in Wollongong after I got told to see a psychologist this was a gynecologist here in Brizzy in the like just like just before just after I moved up here sorry was when this kind of started and we are when I kind of spoke to her about everything that I was experiencing experiencing the pain I was in I was I guess I never went to hospital pre-diagnosis because I didn't think it was necessary like then what are they going to do it's just period pain man like like, what are they going to do with me so when I saw her she pretty much instantly did an internal ultrasound which is what you were like explaining earlier with putting the probe up your vagina we all have one let's be honest uh, yeah so she did an internal ultrasound which is an extremely uncomfortable process, but it, like it's the only way that they can truly see your reproductive organs. So your uterus, your ovaries, your fallopian tubes and everything else. But that, I will never forget it. That internal ultrasound was so painful and she wasn't even pressing that hard, but she was like, 
looking around, doing her job. So I'm not blaming her at all, but I was in tears. And I remember her like looking up because obviously my knees are like covering her face. She looked up and she saw that I was crying and she was like, you need to have surgery. I need to operate on you ASAP. And four weeks later, I was under the knife with my first laparoscopic surgery, which is where I was diagnosed with stage four endometriosis. Then I guess going along like the surgery route now, the surgery is designed to excise or remove as much of the endometriosis growth as possible without doing serious damage to your organs. So if you see it as like moss growing on rocks, like at the beach or something, you'd only be able to remove so much before you start tearing layers of the actual rocks off that rock from removing the moss, if that makes sense. So like they're not going to remove anything that will do serious damage to your organs. So there's only so much they can do inside that surgery that they're happy with. From that surgery, it's just all about maintaining your pain and trying to slow down the growth because it nine times out of 10, unfortunately, it'll always grow back. That's inevitable. They will do what they can to slow down that growth, such as using progesterone-based hormones. In my case, my marina is producing more progesterone than it is estrogen. So yeah, it's just all about maintaining your pain as well. But I guess going on to how I end up in hospital is I know now, because it's been three and a half years since I was diagnosed, I pretty much know if I'm going to end up in hospital or not. And it's a race against time of what I can do to stop that process, which is what I did on Friday, just gone. So it starts off with like the worst possible period pain that you can imagine. And that comes on pretty quickly. It's like, okay, I've got extremely bad period pain. If I don't get onto this now, like it'll end up to the point where I'm in the fetal position on the ground, not capable of even moving to get myself home. I wouldn't have been able to drive home. I wouldn't be able to do anything. So it's a case of letting my workplace know or whoever I'm with, whether that's my partner, whether that's my mom or my nan or anything, I need to get home on strong painkillers now. Otherwise, yeah. I'll either end up in the emergency department or in the back of an ambulance. So thankfully, I have a little like, I guess, like pain relief routine that I go through and again for those who know me personally I hate taking painkillers I'm so stubborn I won't if I've got a headache I won't take Panadol if I've got even the slightest amount of pain I just won't take Panadol and Nurofen I hate it I hate taking pain relief but in these kind of episodes I will because I know for myself I don't want to be in hospital who wants to be in hospital like not me I will go down my little pain relief calendar it has its it has its order it's go it goes in and then I pray for the best yeah wow pretty sure it's the same for PCOS but for endometriosis especially it is an incurable disease there is Mm -hmm. no cure for it another myth which for women who may be a bit older listening a hysterectomy will also not cure endometriosis period like it's not going to cure it so for those gynecologists that offer a hysterectomy especially in women who are extremely young it's not going to cure it again it may reduce your symptoms but it's, it's not the cure. Removing your reproductive organs is not a cure for endometriosis. Like it's, it's not a thing. Yeah, it's unfortunate that they haven't been able to fix it and, and find a cure for it. And that's the sad reality of it. So if you are struggling with endo, or you are struggling with PCOS, I just think that it's 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 going to be comforting for you to understand that there is something that you can do to ease that pain. And there's obviously med- methods that you can do that's going to help I guess, with all of that type of thing, but just stop being in denial, thinking that you're listening to these doctors and that you're going to get cured. Because I agree with you in that regard that it is one of those things that 
either is almost impossible or is impossible to cure a hormonal imbalance, unfortunately, like that. And it's just coming to terms with that. And if you are experiencing stuff like this, I would go to talk to a gyno and be open minded and understand that they might have opinions on certain things because they might have had clients and patients in the past that have been what they say cured from it right? They could, it could happen. It could be one in a million people that get cured and never experience, experience an endometriosis feeling again, but that could be one in a million, you know? So just take that with a grain of salt when you are getting advice, I guess, knowing that just get as much information from all the different, like you said, from all different types of people to be able to get your kind of your conclusion on what to do next. I guess there um, are like there are other avenues that you can go down. So another path that I did decide to take is a pelvic floor physiotherapist, okay. which is, oh my God, this is going to sound so dumb, but it's a physiotherapist that specializes in your pelvic floor muscles. And essentially like what she taught me was during a flare up, how to relax your pelvic floor muscles. And I can guarantee you, if you don't know what your pelvic floor muscles are, it is your pelvis like sits like this. It is all the muscles that lay on the bottom of your pelvis. So when you go to the toilet, you are using your pelvic floor muscles. When you are trying to do a number two at the toilet, you are using your pelvic floor muscles. So it's pretty much every muscle that sits on the bottom of your pelvis. And I guess what she taught me to do was during a flare up is how to relax those pelvic floor muscles. And I guarantee you, if you have never really like mentally thought and concentrated on your pelvic floor muscles, you will have no idea how to use them. I had no idea on how to use or relax your muscles down there because it is such an interesting journey. Like my first appointment with her, I was mind blown at the things that you can do with your pelvic floor muscles. Like it's a very interesting journey and I highly recommend seeing a pelvic floor physio if you are someone that suffers with endo because it really helped me on learning about those muscles and how I can utilize those muscles to help me through a flare-up. So when you talk about like activating your pelvic floor and being able to like release that stress, which is like, what is one type of exercise that you can kind of use it as an example? Okay. Are we, are we getting real raw on this podcast? Absolutely. So pretty much your pelvic floor muscles are the muscles that surround like a woman's like vagina mm-hmm. and your rectum. Be professional on here, let's just say. Those are your pelvic floor muscles. So, an instance, like, or an example that my pelvic floor physio asked me was when you go to the toilet to do a wee, do you find yourself having to push out to finish, like going, or can, can you just feel like it just finishes and you're like, all right, I'm good, I can get up now? When you push, like, that is you activating or like, going against your pelvic floor muscles so and I guess on the other end you know when you're holding going to the toilet and you're trying to hold in a wee or you might be trying to hold in a poo for example that is you activating your pelvic floor muscles so when so for those who have very weak pelvic floor muscles they might find themselves struggling to hold on going to the toilet So this happens often in older women or elderly women, should I say, as you get older, your pelvic floor muscles weaken. So it is actually really important as like a young adult to 
really get in tune with your pelvic floor muscles so you can keep strengthening them over the time. And you can actually do exercises on how to train your pelvic floor muscles or how to keep your pelvic floor muscles strong and also isolate them because there are, I would do your research in this field, but it's definitely one of those things where it is a bit awkward and a bit uncomfortable if you've never delved into this before, but you can pretty much get tools that you can use on yourself to help activate and help train your pelvic floor muscles because it's definitely something that a lot of people have no idea even exist. Yeah, absolutely. Like I find it really interesting. And the way that you kind of described it, I can understand that as well. And I think that people are going to resonate a lot with that because everyone shits, everyone waits. Everyone has yeah. <laughs> experiences that holding in a fart, you know, everyone's done it before. So that's really interesting. And I think that's really cool to be able yeah. to bring that awareness as well. So that's really amazing. I love that. That's it was really awesome. So to kind of get into the last little nitty grits of this potty, because my God, we can literally talk about everything forever. Yeah. And I love that. But that will be our next podcast. Okay. Yeah. Stay tuned for the next one, guys. You guys are going to absolutely love it. I want to ask a little bit about self-development and confidence as well, because mm-hmm. obviously with struggling with endometriosis and not being able to go to the gym all the time and not being able to keep a healthy lifestyle because of it, that's obviously going to taint a bit of your confidence in your self-love and your self-worth. So how are you genuinely feeling like overall? Do you find that because of your condition, you struggle with confidence, being able to stay in routine? Do you struggle with your mindset and everything like that? Or are you pretty much set on being able to keep that routine alive even in those flare-ups? So I guess this is something that I guess I'm still on quite a long road and a long journey on. So I definitely won't say that I am exactly where I want to be or exactly where I, I guess, like want to be. It's one of those things where I finally, I know if I'm able to go to the gym or not. And yeah, I do sometimes think, oh, I'm not training. I'm not going to be as toned or as lean or as strong as I once was, but I'm slowly really starting to learn that I still have an able body and I'm extremely grateful for that. So I may not be as, yeah, like I said, body confident in terms of where like I'm aesthetically sitting at. I'm human. Like we're all not going to be perfect every single day. Like I am extremely bloated nine times out of 10. Most days, like I do not have a flat stomach. It's just not a thing. And it's taken me a really long time to come to terms with that. But on the flip side, I'm extremely grateful that I'm still able to be up and about. I'm still able to work. I'm still able to move my body if I want to. So I guess self-confidence is something that, especially in 2022 alone, I've come such a long way with self-confidence, but it's something that I'm still on that journey of gaining that self-confidence. But every day I'm trying to tell myself I still have an able body and I'm extremely grateful for that, regardless if, if I go to the gym or not. Oh, that's so amazing. And look like that definitely comes with your personality as well. And your upbringing and kind of what you promote online is still being able to live that, that free and that balanced lifestyle. Because I think it's really important that people understand as well that they don't have to feel so like restricted because if they're going through an endo flare up they're going through PCOS if they're having like period pain don't feel like you're gonna you know ruin all of your progress if you choose to have a week off the gym like I think it's really important that you get out of that mindset because your self-love and and looking after your health is so much more important 
than going to lift some weights because you're not going to ruin your progress if you take a week or two off. You know, taking that time to be able to really work on yourself mentally and be able to keep a strong routine even though you're going through that is really empowering and that's really beautiful that you still promote that. And you're being honest and saying that you're not in a, a stable routine right now and that's okay. It's not going to do anything bad to your body. It might actually do some good to your body, allowing yeah. your body to rest because you are a fucking freak and I know that you train a lot. So it's actually really nice to hear that you're being so okay with you know, not having to be at the gym every single day and having to show up as a certain person every day because you are an online person as well. So that can be really hard is to show up online and still act normal when you might be going through a really hard flare up and, you know, still trying to maintain that authenticity, which is really important, obviously, to you as well. Let's close this potty, my darling girl. I want you to kind of show where people can find you. I will obviously leave everything down in the um, description as well, but just plug yourself for a little second. Stop it. I guess my main source of social media is definitely Instagram. So you can find me at Natalie J Brown underscore. Yeah, that's when you can find me being real and raw on there about my struggles with endo. I'm very open about my endo on my Instagram, which I definitely have a lot of women on there appreciating what I share and how real it is and how horrible it can be because I feel like, like we've spoken about, people don't understand what we go yeah. through. So if you want some real and raw action over there, come join absolutely everyone go and give her a follow because she's absolutely amazing you're gonna love her content but thank you so much for coming on this podcast i really appreciate it and i know our listeners are going to absolutely love this episode but yeah amazing thank you guys so much for listening make sure you follow the pod like review i'd love to get a review from you guys as well um and we will chat to you guys on the next potty bye